hey, if you're curious about getting your research translated to something, just step into the door. Have you ever wondered if you could or should make a product out of your research and start a company? If so, you found the right podcast. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Innovator's Garage. Hosted by the Institute of Translational Health Sciences, we're based out of the School of Medicine at the University of Washington. My name is Teddy Johnson. I'll be your host. And I am the Technology Development Director at ITHS. And I have here with me Dr. Terry Butler. Terry, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Teddy. I'm uh, happy to be here. I work in the Institute of Translational Health Sciences also, and I manage a committee called the Drug and Device Advisory Committee. It's an early stop for innovators who are thinking about translating their research into a product. And I also run a program that is called the Biomedical Innovation Fireside Chat Series. It'll be a series of seven sessions going from January through May, and uh, it's a great place for people to observe uh, conversations between entrepreneurs and covering all sorts of topics that are essential for innovating in healthcare. And I think that's a great topic to lead off this podcast because, you know, it's all about people, you know, making their way in or getting that first exposure. Um, And I'm kind of curious, what what are some of the things that you do to find people, welcome people, or, or really get them to kind of, I guess, sort of start dipping their toe in the water? A lot of it is up to them and their curiosity about whether their research might be really useful in the clinic. And when they think that it will be, and uh, a lot of times from the very beginning of their research topics, they plan on having it be useful. There comes a point where they need to learn, how do I actually go about this? Is this a type of product that I'll have to get FDA approval for, or is this something where I'll need clinical implementation help? And so by them stepping up to someone, either tech transfer office or coming into ITHS to learn how to do clinical studies um, or learning about biostatistics, then they'll get introduced to others of us who are in the ecosystem who can help them out. That's kind of how I run the innovation series. It's um, hosted by ITHS, but our moderators come from around the region, and they also run programs that support innovators. So by having this program that we do together, we stay very well connected and support innovators from all over the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that teamwork is great. And I know for me personally, I feel really comforted um, that when we have questions, you know, somebody might say, hey, I want to run a study, you know, how do I design that? It's, It's nice to be at ITHS where we have biostatistics and we have community engagement if somebody wants to do a study out in community, but, you know, not necessarily in a major metropolitan area. They want to, you know, go to where people are who are sick. Um, it's nice to have those sorts of supports. And then, of course, the funding and backstop of our research navigator who can really help people figure out what's the best grant for them. Um, it's nice to have these things as we get started. And, and we're trying to welcome people to this entrepreneurship road. Uh, we, can, we can help them along the way. What's your experience so far in the Technology Development Center, Teddy? <laughs> My experience... Uh, the experiences are varied, wildly varied, and 
I think, you know, as you talk about helping people try to figure out who the customer is, I think part of it too, with working with the people who come to our center is helping the people figure out who they are. You know, quite often what I'm trying to understand is what they want to do with their with their science. And uh, it starts off talking about, oh, there's a market for this, or, you know, there's a product here. And, and sometimes I'll ask them, you know, how interested are you in making money? And that, that's usually one of those litmus test questions. Or uh, do you really want to start a company? And why would you ever want to do that? You know, and that's another one of those questions um, that really, I think, helps people to kind of crystallize what's important to them and why they're pursuing this or why they're even talking to me. Um, ultimately, I'm looking for people who want to make something. And um, sometimes the people who want to make something haven't yet quite realized it because they haven't found a safe space to do that. Um, and I know that's been one of the things that you've looked at when you're doing your customer discovery training. Um, how do you get people to the point where they can actually, you know, cold call someone? How do you how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, I admire investigators and research grad students so much because they're already doing so many roles. They're teaching others. They're learning rapidly. They're writing grants. They're speaking. They're being industry experts. Um, so taking on one more thing on how do you convert a research discovery into a product that's in the clinic, I think a lot of us can see it. We can imagine it. We can imagine that discovery translated to getting to the patient and making a big difference. But then when you back off step by step, there's so many steps to do and so many more experts involved that sometimes it's, uh, I can totally understand how it's very overwhelming for a researcher to start learning about those things. So I'm very empathetic about them and their shoes and also very excited about all these amazing inventions that come my way and the teams that I get to work with. And I think one of the things I like to do is help people understand that getting that product or that solution to the doctors or the patients, um, they don't need to do it all themselves. They don't need to be in charge of it the full pathway. And in fact, there are so many more experts they're absolutely going to need to make that happen. So helping them understand that there are many other experts that they would um, either hand the whole thing off to or be involved at a very deep level, but being led by these people who have other industry expert have expertise on hand. And so we have a great team around us of a bunch of awesome mentors and deep experts and uh, you've built out the Technology Development Center with some of them who can immediately help teams on that journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been fun building the team, you know, and it's wonderful to have you on the team as one of the people who really does, you know, guide folks in the community through the process of entrepreneurship. Um, and then also having two regulatory experts who, you know, got full careers of regulatory experience. It's great to be able to have them give people a perspective on an area that can be kind of mysterious. Um, people sort of struggle with regulatory and don't really know when do they talk to the FDA or how do they decide what tests they're going to need, need to be done to get something out to market. It's wonderful to have the team together so that we can round out, I guess, what's missing. Um, and I think 
as we provide these supports and really are able to lean on, you know, the full breadth of what ITHS offers, it, it's nice. I think we're able to provide that comfort that people are talking about. And, you know, as we're talking about the investigators and their teams, it makes me think of our team science group who, you know, when I first heard about it, you know, I'm, I don't have a research background. And so um, I thought about more from the perspective of, oh, it's how do you get people to work together and, and really collaborate? And not only is it just kind of a how, but there's a lot of research behind it. Um, I'm curious what, what you do as you see these people come in and you're planning to run them through this entrepreneurship training. Um, how do you help them think about, you know, who's going to be on the team or who's, who should be on the team for developing their technology? Well, actually, it's a lot of fun. When um, one step in to ITHS, if someone has a product idea, is to come to uh, the Drug and Device Advisory Committee, which I manage, and we have experts on there. Who, everyone has commercialized something, been part of a commercialization team, been part of implementation. And so they bring different viewpoints to the committee. We have the investigators present their um, research at the state that it's at and their idea for how it would come to the clinic. And then we start asking questions, offering advice, uh, giving them contacts for next steps. So it's a very friendly conversation, curiosity-driven. We're all scientific background-type people, and it helps provide a friendly introduction to some of those experts. And as people start to learn from these experts, they realize that that's a whole other career worth of learning, and so they gain appreciation for some of these experts that we bring to the table. And then the project continues to evolve, and before long... um, step after step they're way beyond where we were when we started the conversation and it's exciting to see things out in the world now that we were a little part of at the very beginning yeah i think i tend to really lean on that word friendly um because some of the people i speak to you know i might give a talk about how to turn an idea into a product and sort of sheepishly they might contact me and say hey teddy you know i kind of always had an idea i've been thinking about this and uh you know maybe we could talk about it and it sort of blows me away because these are full professors you know uh, nearing retirement they are at the top of their game and what i'm realizing is that they really need the friendly of the friendly part that you're talking about they really need that safe space to be able to explore uh, in a realm that they haven't been before. Um, they they recognize that they have a lot to learn. And so for the people who are really comfortable being uncomfortable, I think this whole process um, is kind of more of an exciting thrill ride. But for the people who've, you know, maybe been in more, you know, contentious uh, areas of science uh, where they've had to, you know, defend their work at every turn, uh, it can be harder. And so what I've really enjoyed about these DDAC meetings is that, you know, people get on and they start presenting and they see us laughing and we're sort of interrupting them and asking questions. And, you know, they realize very quickly that it's not a formal presentation at all. <laughs> I think I think that kind of opens the doors for them um, and, and lets things go a different a different direction. Um, 
you know, and I'm, I'm curious because as I've attended some of your DDAC sessions, I've noticed that you always have this long, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's like you have this lineup of of visitors for like the next year or so. I mean, I'm I'm trying to figure out how you how do you drum up such amazing talent um, that you that you bring to the DDAC. As far as the teams who come in, and, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I credit the whole ecosystem, the whole ecosystem across the region. It's the researchers where ideas are bubbling up, and when they bubble up, they start to get curious about next steps and. Maybe they're entering the phase of thinking they want to move from their animal models into clinical studies. So ITHS might be a place where they come and learn about how do they do human clinical studies and how do they go about it properly and cross all the T's, dot all the I's, and we have the expertise that can help them. So that's one place where they'll step in. Another one will be they'll start to think, oh, wow, this is really innovative. I should probably... Uh, talk to someone about getting a patent. They'll go to the tech t- transfer office here at University of Washington. It's Commotion, which um, Commotion has top-notch resources, not just in the intellectual property facet, but also training and uh, coaching and introductions. And so if they come in through there, then often I'll hear about these up-and-coming teams with needs in the product development and regulatory area, and I'll get introduced to them through technology managers. And more and more, we're having great regional um, connections. And we recently had some folks from Oregon Health Sciences join our DDAC committee as observers because they are planning on starting a committee at their institution that can offer this kind of friendly, ongoing resource in terms of people who've been there and done that with the um, commercialization aspects. So, yeah, teams. If teams didn't bubble up, if research didn't happen, we wouldn't have anybody coming. But given the <laughs> the right. amazing research that's going on around the region, University of Washington and our our other institutions, uh, there's always something new and exciting and meaningful because people want to see positive change. I think a big part of that too is is really trying to support people you know, when they raise their hand, because um, that hand raise tends to be pretty tentative at first. And, you know, I know one of the things we've been talking about is really trying to do more outreach with um, graduate students and postdocs as well. You know, if we're talking about trying to get things out into the world, that often means, you know, forming a company that's going to be a spin out and, it we I guess finally acknowledge that it is less likely that a full professor is gonna you know quit their professorship and do a startup. I've heard of it happening. I don't think it's so common. Uh, maybe it's more likely it's going to be a grad student or a postdoc going out with a company. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities there when it comes to training. And you know I've been having conversations with. Um, some of the folks who who work with especially the postdocs and and they've acknowledged it like yeah you know um 80 of the people getting their phd they're not gonna they're not gonna be working on the bench and so how can we provide opportunities for them how can we provide training for them um actually which reminds me what you know one of the things that's been exciting for me is to see our translational workforce development group 
and all the professional development programs that they put together, you know, whether it's for the graduate students or for the postdocs, um, and also the junior faculty, too. You know, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And um, one of the things that stands out for me is that we tend to think that we have a lot of opportunities here, but I think COVID and Zoom has really opened up a lot of things. And I know you reach out really broadly, regionally. Um, I remember there was one session you had where you had somebody from Texas and somebody from India. I'm just kind of curious how you get the word out and, and uh, you know, how you bring the people in who are going to be part of these audiences for some of these trainings that you do. Yeah, actually, that's a great point. Um, ever since I got involved in these kinds of entrepreneurial programming opportunities at University of Washington, I've always reached out across the region. And I think that's because I've worked at some of the other universities in the region that didn't have as many resources. And I know that the entrepreneurs that bubble up there, they don't necessarily have access to the expertise or the mentors that we're fortunate enough to have built out here at University of Washington. So I'm very committed to sharing that across the region. And it's also great for us at University of Washington to be addressing meaningful projects, meaningful needs uh, beyond the urban area. And so that is happening more and more successfully, and it's really exciting to see. So the way I reach out to people, and it's always a challenge, but you know, it's people who know people. So the key is to get to know a few key people at each uh, academic site that we uh, feel like it's productive to work with and that has needs. And then those people have outreach capacity at their institution or in their region. And so it turns out it's a uh, fairly tight group of probably uh, eight to 25 people, depending on how you outreach, and then they will get the word out in their region, and we communicate very effectively that way. And then when people start signing up for your programs, you're building out your own list of people who are interested in this. And, you know, not every person in academia is going to be interested in entrepreneurship, per se, but they may be interested in being in an early stage company in some other capacity. Maybe they want to develop into a regulatory advisor aspect, or they want to manage clinical trials. And all of these experiences that they can have can help them in a career and can certainly help bring good change to the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, too. You know, I've worked at a lot of startups, and I remember uh, one startup in particular, you know, we had, you know, chief medical officer, uh, was a practicing physician and, you know, kind of a co-founder level of the company, but he only came in one day a week. And, you know, as we're talking about what role does the researcher want to have, I step back and I think about, wow, back when I was an engineer, if <laughs> when that guy came in one day a week, it, he ended up giving me a week's worth of work, <laughs> right? Like I really... You know, which is to say that uh, for somebody who is a researcher or a doctor and wants to get involved in this, it doesn't have to mean that they are going to leave the university. You know, it could mean, you know, show up for four or eight hours a week, see what's going on and really help guide the technological development. And and that's a big deal because... um, the engineers, the developers who are going to be advancing the technology, they want to have the expertise uh, guidance. Uh, 
Um, and so it's a great way to engage, but also to, um, I guess, enable the researcher to keep doing their research as well so they can stay at the forefront of what they're doing um, and really, you know, keep publishing papers because that's what we have to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's been very successful at University of Washington, Fred Hutch, Children's, that are, it's actually our grad students and postdocs. They see that their research might translate into something that can actually reach the clinic. And so for the vast majority of things that spin out, that's the type of person who is an early leader and they get the coaching that they need for, from local business folks and their uh, academic PI is very supported to see the work moving on. So um, those we have quite a lot of programs around the region for people like that who really want to give it a shot. Hey, Terry, this is great. I'm really glad you could join today. I'm having a good time with the conversation. Looking forward to the future sessions. Um, if you had to leave our listeners with, you know, a parting thought, what would it be? I would say, hey, if you're curious about getting your research translated to something, just step into the door. Call me, call Teddy, call any one of our regional program leaders. We're all connected and super happy to help you, excited to see what the potential is. So join us. That's great. Thanks, Terry. Hey, innovators, don't forget to sign up for our new series, the Biomedical Innovation Fireside Chats, starting in January 2024. And to learn more about the Institute of Translational Health Sciences, please visit iths.org. Thanks for listening.